Yes, hello, ladies and gentlemen, Titus O'Reilly here, and we have some exciting news for 2024. Mick and I are going to be performing two live sports bazaars at the Corner Hotel in Richmond, 20th and 27th of February. Uh, We're really looking forward to this. It's right near Mick's house, so we're guaranteed to be able to do it. We'd love you to come along. Tickets are available through Oztix. You can either go to Oztix and search Sports Bazaar or put the link in the show notes. And for those of you in other states, we are looking at doing that too. So don't feel left out. We're just starting here because, well, it's almost next door to Mick's house. So why wouldn't you? Sports Bazaar podcast live, the Corner Hotel, the 20th and the 27th of February. Hope to see you there. It's Sports Bazaar. This is where the trouble starts. It's like a party switch has flicked off. We're not here for a haircut. The hunt for the weirdest. You're blowing my mind. I can't keep it. You fact check this. There is no logic to any of what's going to happen. Strangest. Wow. This is outrageous. Not for the ages. Things are just going to get sillier and sillier. No red flags there. Most unbelievable. Volatile. Erratic. Simple. And clinically insane. Stories to ever occur. There's a lot of our stories that start with someone being money lenders. This is not the perfect preparation. In the world of sport. This is the opposite of perfect preparation. <laughs> this is the worst. Sports bizarre. Yeah, were you saying horse whipped as in he was actually horse whipped? Yeah, uh, he said there's only one thing for it. I ordered hair of the dog. <laughs> a rabble of vagrants, drunkards, ruffian brawlers and gambling desperado. So like the Sports Bazaar audience. <laughs> this is the Sports Bazaar Summer Edition. Did I miss that meeting? You missed a lot of meetings. <laughs> With Titus O'Reilly. Yes, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Sports Bazaar. I'm Titus O'Reilly, and today uh, I'm very excited about this because this is a man I followed his whole career, read a lot of his stuff. You're not that old. No, not all. <laughs> I've gone back. It's Andrew Rule. He's one of Australia's most prolific you're journalists, crime reporters, author. You've written almost 30 books. I'm involved in many, many books. Many, many books. I've I've written four, so I I, I know the workload. <laughs> I'm like, gee, you must never sleep. Your podcast, Life and Crimes, is uh, one of the biggest in Australia. Yeah, and amazingly. Je- and I, what I love is you've been a crime journalist for a long time, and then suddenly this true crime category explodes, and you've got decades of knowledge on this. John Sylvester and I sort of. We're ahead of the wave with yeah. books, I have to say, because I, I wrote my first book in the late 80s yeah. about M- Medill Haywood case. It's called Cuckoo. You can't get it now unless you buy it on, uh, it's on, on, the second on eBay for, for about 150 bucks. But um, it's a classic of its type. But yeah. it, it was one of the early true crime books in Australia. And John and I then did Chopper and we did Underbelly. Yeah. And really it hit a, a big wave. And now the podcasts fulfilling that same function. Yeah, yeah. So people that used to buy our books tend now to listen to our podcast. Our podcast. We're cannibalising ourselves, <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what I was getting. You've got so much back history that you can draw on. Where you get some of them you realise. Old rope, you think. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's more that some of the new people that come to true crime, you can tell they don't have the broad context or that true. they haven't met it's, any of you, the you actual. Mean, you mean I'm old? No, but you've met the people you're reporting so, on. Some of them. You've yeah, you've but you've actually talked. Some of them know. I wish I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where I feel good as a sports journalist because you, you like your, you like your heroes. Well, I have written a few things about Wayne Carey, and when I bumped into him, he wasn't. But that's the scariest it gets for me. Where yeah. I think you can have me beat on a lot of them. Did you ever meet Wayne Carey's brother, Dick? He could scare you. Oh, there was a few because the Morans were very into Very close. I find this just doing sports stories and, you know, we always look for the weirdest sports stories, so people doing very odd things. Yes. Have you got to the point, I feel like I'm getting to this point a bit with sport where it's harder and harder to shock me. Do yes. you still find you get shocked occasionally or most of the time you're like, because I look at a story of a modern day and I go, Oh, that reminds me of Lucky Baldwin from the 1850s in San Francisco or this reminds me of this race promoter or boxing promoter. The more you know, the more you see patterns. You see the patterns. Do you find that a bit? Yeah, without doubt. You know, I remember, can you believe that I remember writing about this bizarro young boxing promoter who was only 18 or 19 at the time. Yeah. Uh, his name was Peter Foster. I remember writing stories about right, okay. Peter Foster, this boy wonder, and, and I compared him with 
H. D. McIntosh, who was they used to call him Huge Deal McIntosh, yeah. who'd been a promoter back in the twenties or something, yeah. and um, that cycle that you, you suggest. And now Peter Foster is this old fat con man. <laughs> but <laughs> then he was then he was um, the son, I think, of a very wise woman. I think his mother right. might have schooled him in the ways of. Um, how to make a quick quid. Right, okay. Possibly. It often runs in the jeans. So the reason I wanted to get you in today is because a story came to light that fascinated me for several reasons. It's, it came out during the Spring Carnival. So yep. for anyone listening overseas in, in Melbourne and in Australia, the Spring Carnival of racing is huge. The Melbourne Cup's part of it. A lot of big races, a lot of money, a lot of people coming involved. Yep. And this is a story about John Bernard Adams. Yeah. And we're recording this at a time where this story is still developing. So this is not a historical story. This is current. Yep. It's looking like this gentleman could have run arguably the biggest Ponzi scheme type scam in Australia for a long time. It's, it's, I'd it, say. it appears to be ranking... I'd say so. Up high. Now, how did this... Hard to tell at this hard point. Hard to but, tell. But the tipping is it's bigger than... Some of the others and the others that we will talk about ran into, you know, one was I think 35 million in yeah. the past. So I see you, figures of 100 million being thrown sums, around. and Even if you add up the people we know of yeah. and then say, well, they're the ones we know. You know, one fellow's in for five, another old retired bookie's in for 11 million. That's two people, 16. Yeah. Another guy's in for three or more. See, some of them are bookmakers. And they tell you they're in for three, but maybe they had more money. Well, this happened. We don't with, know. Didn't this happen with the great bookie robbery? It did. The, it did. The claim was something. I've, I, I wrote a chapter on this. I know it's, you've written it, more on this. The yeah. claim was at some level, but when you talk to bookies off the record, they actually go, "I think it was worth it, a lot more." It than. has got exaggerated, but I'll give you two points about the, that bookie robbery. Yeah. One fellow I know who was in there. Now this is Con McMahon, who's yeah. sick of hearing this. He's absolutely, he'll hate hearing this. But he um, <laughs> was a young bookies clerk at the time. He was in the room. He had to lie on the Axminster on the floor. Yeah. And you'll be pleased to know that being alert, he crawled up behind Wally Beaver Senior, who was the fattest man in the room. <laughs> and he thought if the guns start going off, I'll be safe because <laughs> the bullets will hit Wally first. Now this shows you what an alert young fella he was, young Con. And Con assures me that the official figure of, you know, 1.2 or 1.4, yep. whatever, Back in the mid seventies, was a lot, a of, lot money. of money. I, I, my first job, I earned fifty eight dollars a week. Yeah, that's three grand a year. So anything over a million bucks was a lot of money. That's when a million bucks bought you an actual house in, oh, in bought, the inner no, city. No, no, it bought you a street full of houses. <laughs> you know, I remember people in the seventies buying houses in rural, good houses for fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, so that, that gives you context. Yeah. So he says, look, it might have not been one point two. It might have been two million. Um, let's double it and make it two and a half million. Yeah. Let's go crazy and say three, which he doesn't believe. Yeah. He said it just couldn't be much more than that. Well, that's a valid opinion of a guy who would know. Would what. know. However, I do know a bookmaking family who said that their lump of money that they lost that day was insured for ten thousand dollars. They got ten thousand insurance, but they actually lost thirty eight. Right. And right. that gives you another point to triangulate. They lost nearly four times, four times what they were insured for. So where's the truth? I wonder, a wise old crook said to me that he knew each of the robbers. He knew all their nicknames and took yeah. – he's, he's an old crook. He reckoned they, they got close to a million each, I think six blokes. So he said he's five or six million. Yeah. And that might be right. That's that amazing. Be, but so it's not 15 or 20. That was the great bookie robbery. So yeah, this is back the, in the with, 70s. Back in the 70s. This one where at the start of it, yeah. And so the figures we're going to be talking about are rubbery, rubbery, but seems to be a lot of money from what people are admitting. This came to light to me, you writing something in the spring carnival. It involves bookmakers. We have to be honest, things. despite the fact we're talking about racing. Yeah. We must be honest. Yes. Because deep down we're journalists yeah. and authors. This story came to my knowledge yeah. because there's uh, the most interesting and eccentric website written by a man who's called Archie Butterfly, mm -hmm. which is obviously not his real name, yeah. but he prefers it to his real name for various reasons. <laughs> uh, he has a particularly Irish name like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Archie runs a, a website out of Queensland, Peter.profit, 
and it runs gossip from racing, crime, sport, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Much of it scurrilous, much of it defamatory. Yeah. He's actually defamation lawsuit proof because he has no assets. But one of the things about him is he's he's got a great network of people who feed him stuff. Right. Which is funny. They all bag him but they feed him stuff. Yeah. He got a sniff of this on Cox Plate Day, which is what, the 27th of October. Yeah. Because I think – the bookies uh, in Melbourne hit a hurdle because the favourites won every race. Yeah. And they were sitting around licking their wounds. And talk came up about John Adams having died the previous Saturday. So and he's the lawyer talk at about the centre the, of The it. lawyer at the centre of this. And somebody said, oh, the VBA, the Victorian Bookmakers Association, has got money with John Adams. And then calls were made and conversations were had. And it transpired that there was a problem that. So the money might not be there. The money mightn't be as available as they'd hoped. That spread like wildfire in that circle of people, people yeah. which is why Archie Butterfly heard about it within and hours. And this all came out of his death after his death. This his came death out, was this the is, trigger. Th- this, his death was the trigger, 21st, Saturday the 21st of October. Yeah. By the following Saturday, bookies knew about it. Archie Butterfly hears from a bookmaker contact yeah. and he tipped me off. Right. He tipped me off. All stories come from somewhere. Yeah. And that's where it came from. He said, this is too big to ignore. It's really hot, which it is. Yeah. And on the Sunday night, I saw it late. Monday morning early, I started to call people. Yeah. And I filed a story that day and I think I did three that week. So just for people who maybe who aren't catch up at all. So this is a suburban lawyer called John Adams who will get into who he was. Yeah. Passes away. It turns out a lot of people have basically invested in his business a lo- loans a loan loan scheme let's say where he you give him money he loans it out to other people who pay enough interest and he pays you he pays you in, and he, and at times he was paying eight percent when the market's paying one percent or some sort of some of the uh, that, some of the things people that, are saying yeah but he was paying good returns all good, the way good, through. good returns all the way through and it seems like he's been doing this for the bookies association has had money with him since 1985 right and that is 38 years ago so he passes away yep let's go right back to where this all kicks off and people suddenly find out no one seems to have any hint that there was anything wrong or going it seemed to be a very solid investment totally firm a lot suburban lawyer who did it did trusted, business on the side trusted by people trusted uh, and a grandfatherly like this isn't a young guy no, running around no, in a lamborghini no, and with gold chains and no he, he, he went to he, church every sunday the epitome of i would have said catholic establishment for want of a better phrase yes this is part of the story yeah st joey's as they call it north melbourne yeah that's where he came from his dad was jack adams who was a North Melbourne Football Club legend, yeah, stalwart. He been a heavyweight figure in the they call it North Old Boys, yeah, in the amateur footy, in the amateur football. And yeah. his partner in his law firm was a amateur football, you know, a big figure anyway. Shane McGuire, who yeah. been a fullback and I think played for an amateur representative team, yeah, fullback. So these are where football meets religion and business, yeah, that and the law. And a bit of racing. And a bit of racing, in. which of course. Very Melbourne. With, uh, very, Melbourne. very Melbourne and very Melbourne sort of old boys networks. That, totally that. Particularly of. on that side of the that sort of St. Joey's group of people. Yeah, And he's very 81 football. when he passes. 81. One. So he, he's not a young guy and he's, no. he seems to have done this by being, he hasn't flashed his wealth. Not, not flashed. Properties and he's, but nothing that would make anyone instantly go, no. this guy's, it's, you know, it's he's not the plumber that suddenly owns no. 40 properties and has a Lamborghini and not is not the former Qantas uh, luggage handler who ends up racing 40 horses. No, <laughs> like, you know, like uh, Damien Flower, who's now doing 28 years in the clink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that, so. he's not that guy. So he's 81. He passes away one night at home, it I seems. I think down at Lawn. Down at Lawn, which is his. Big property. He's got a big, a lovely place on the, lovely in the sense of a a great site. Yeah. Which is to the left, uh, the the ocean side of the Great Ocean Road. Yeah. At Big Hill, which is just this side of lawn. Yeah. So it's out by itself in the bush, but with absolute beach access. You can just walk from the house to the beach, which I think, I saw a story written by one of my colleagues estimating it being worth $4 I would have thought thought it was worth 
I would have thought it was worth plenty <laughs> yeah. in the current market. Yeah, that's right. His wife goes to bed, comes down and finds him the next morning is what's been reported so far. But it is being now investigated by the coroner. Yeah. Because is there... Speculation. Speculation that could it have been suicide, could it have been... He's either died of a, you know, had a heart attack and died, yeah. ran out of breath like all of us will, or he's given himself a bit of a, a hand assist. A hand assist, uh, yeah. With um, whatever, you know. But that's what the coroner now will look at. The coroner will look at that. But... You know, either way, I don't see it as sinister. No. I don't no, think no. it'll be as just some angry person knew about it. Slipped up and given him a hypodermic. No. <laughs> no. What I do wonder, and this is absolute speculation. Yeah. And, you know, the lawyers will really want to listen to this bit. <laughs> because you would wonder whether he left a note or something to be opened on upon his death. Yeah. And whether that was opened rapidly. And you'd wonder whether that set in train people being interested in his loan business and wondering where it was all going because I'm told by people that I trust because it's firsthand, uh, members of a prominent bookmaking family tell me that 9 o'clock next morning one of them got a call from someone close to Adams saying John's died and they weren't. Ringing up really because of the of the loss, or you know, isn't it sad? Yeah, they're ringing clients to let them know that he died and that perhaps and who was things ringing? weren't because there's John Adams family. There's he's got and four then, four adult you know senior respected people. So that's one side of it. Then the, on the other side, yeah. there's the law firm itself where he had a partner called Shane Shane McGuire, and he also had. He used to have a sire, his other partner who'd Vin, left. Vin Sire left Vin, five years ago. Five years ago. A, a man with a bit of age on him, so yeah. entitled to retire. Yeah. There's some talk of a development in High Street Preston going belly up or losing money or hitting yeah. some hurdle. There's some talk of that. I don't know what the connection is with that. Yeah. But it, it seems to be that when that development hit a hurdle that Vin Sire left the firm. Yeah. I make no conclusions about any of it. And I think it's too early, isn't it? This is totally. where it's kind of interesting of where what where we're at. But so Maguire finds out his partner after the death, yeah. he says upon that they did some looking, looking into Yeah. Might have started to read a few things in And and uh, they discover I, that there's irregularities. Irregularities. In, Look, to be fair to Shane Maguire. He he's said we're that. gonna be very fair. He's seventy, but he was ten years younger than his senior, than the principal of the firm. Yeah. The man who would have brought his mentor, more a mentor or a big brother figure, mm. who's brought him into that firm way back in the old days. And they've probably always had that father-son relationship yeah. in a way. And that the law firm ran along doing its wills and its conveyancing and all that everyday stuff. And there was no suggestion there was anything wrong with that I, part I, I of don't, the, I don't the believe law there firm. Is. I that don't one believe, seemed to be. Don't believe there's a problem. At least not that we know of. No, but on the side, John Adams for decades mm. was running this loan business, which I have heard of other lawyers doing this. Yeah, and I recall buying my first house forty years ago, and I was offered money from two different law firms, both of whom I would consider to be dodgy. One was in <laughs> Gerildery in in the Riverina, which would be very close to Griffith, would it yeah. not? Draw your own conclusions. Yeah. And the other one was <laughs> a guy of extremely well-known lawyer in Melbourne who was mixed up with football and sportsman and racing and we won't mention his name but yeah. he was a well-known figure. He used to manage some football people. Right. And he also had money that could be borrowed. Borrowed, yeah. If the banks weren't that keen on you, you could go to these guys. So they had slightly less stringent lending criteria but higher and, interest rates yeah, basically and, and used. What they tell you, right or wrong, is don't worry about the principal, just pay the interest. We just want to give you money, you pay the interest because our clients, that's all they want, which makes you think it's funny money, black money, yeah, grey money. In, in the end, I borrowed the money from the state bank. Right. What could go wrong there? And um, <laughs> I was about to say another another criminal uh, organisation. No, As it turns out, it went broke too. <laughs> yeah. My point with all that is this is not that rare and I'm not saying they're all bodgy. What they were doing wasn't that rare. Uh, no. I myself could have yeah, borrowed money borrowed in 1980, money. whenever it was, 
ended up not doing it. But obviously there's an opening for borrowers who have been bankrupt. They might have a bit of a spotty – if the banks Cred- went, through your, if they went or... through your credit history and said, you keep giving money to TAB and Sportsnet, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll find that it's hard for you to swing a loan. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is true. So you go, oh, I'll go to John Adams. Yeah. Because he, he won't mind. Yeah. For a lot of years this obviously worked. So I don't think he set out to start a Ponzi scheme. I yeah. don't think. So Ponzi I'm, scheme for I'm those, guessing. So Ponzi scheme people don't know, and this is a pure Ponzi scheme, what I'm describing now, not what necessarily there are variants of. And yep. They, yep. You get people to invest money. You say, give me $100,000 and I'll give you 8% interest on that. Yeah. And it's very hard to get that sort of return in the normal in, market in the real year world. on year all the time. So what you do is then I go and get someone else to give me 100000 and I pay out that 8%. You rob the, Peter to pay Paul yeah. until the music stops. And then the best, like yeah. the Bernie Madoffs and that, do this for years upon years that because they just keep bringing in new clients all yep. the time. Yep. And they would hope they have enough money that if someone does want their whole money out to exactly. make it appear legit, they can go, yeah, here it is. But really they're always falling behind and because you're not getting those returns normally. No. You think he didn't, and this is often the case with these scams, they don't start off with someone, sometimes they do. Someone says, I'm just going to run a straight Ponzi scheme here. Yeah. But often it's someone who gets into a line of business, suddenly finds pressure to pay the returns they've promised, starts to borrow the money from others. They're the bank teller that takes the money out of the drawer to put on a horse. To say, I'm going to pay it back. I'm going to pay it back in the morning. Now, horse loses. In a sense, in a sense, I think this is what a lot of Ponzi start. Yeah. They don't, probably don't set out to rob everybody. That's right, yeah. Uh, some do. Some, some do. It takes a real mind to The Italian do guy that prayed, it's often people praying on their own trusted circle. Yeah. The Italian guy down at Werribee, who was a very big deal years ago, he ripped off, you know, all his uncles and aunties and all their neighbours and they could all speak the language that they trusted young, yeah. whatever his name was. This one is a bit like that because it's St. Joey's old boys and all their friends and connections. Yeah. Mike Bastian was the guy who jumped off a building in he, Hong Kong. And he was another one that ran at something like this. Yeah. He did. And he might have always been on the nose. He might have always been. He was con- more leaning towards. More aggressive, I think. Yeah. More deluded and certainly was all fired up on cocaine, which makes you take risks and do stupid yeah. stuff. Mike Bastian I met through people who had money with him and trusted him. But Bastian's. His shtick was to say to racing people mm. who are very wise in the way of racing, mm. very astute people and very suspicious, very cunning lot yeah, by and large. You, you don't, don't last be long playing, if you're naive. You don't want to be playing cards with racing people yeah. but because they know all about their patch of the world, they're willing to think that they could meet a guy that knows all about the money market. Right. And when the money market guy says, give me 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, I promise you next Tuesday week, you know, whatever, the end of the month, yeah. I'm going to give you 10% on your money or whatever it was. And I'll keep doing and, that. And he did. And they'd, they'd give him some money and he'd pay it. So they'd go, oh, let's double it. So they'd, then they'd leave it in. We'll leave it in with you, Mike. Yeah. And he lured in very big names in racing. Yeah. Various jockeys had money with him. Owners, different people, racing people had money with him. And a lot of – he was a Kiwi, I think, and his wife certainly was, mm. Maureen, and they had – uh, neighbours and friends and farming families back in New Zealand, yeah. you know, prosperous people who were suckered into giving money to the wonderkind. You know, when you sell your herd of cows and your, yeah. your paddock and you've got half a mil, give it to Mike. And so he actually dropped a fortune of people in his own social and so, family yeah, circle yeah. and burnt them all and then he jumps off the building or falls off it. Yeah. And he had a very big funeral, unlike John Adams. Yeah. Uh, I attended it. And there are a lot of people there nodding and, and, you know, being very kind to his widow who were hurting inside because they'd lost a lot of a money. A lot of money. Lost a lot. Because that's money. the thing. It, you can, it can pay you for long periods of time, but you don't get the principal back necessarily. It's, yeah. it's gone because uh, it's been used to pay other people he, or they're siphoning it off for them their own both, project. In his case, both. Yeah. He, he just spent it like a drunken sailor. Yeah. You know, private, it's first class tickets. So he wasn't hiding his uh, he, had, he had sort of, um, he was the wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. As cocaine and hookers and yeah. the whole schmozzle. It was but, bunga bunga. <laughs> but, but Adams was – it reminds me once, and you would know this better than me, I'm not a crime person reporter, but 
when I was working in previous job in the corporate world for big corporates and I met a guy who does big security for them, you know, and just started at a company I was at, I won't say who, but a big top ASX 10 company. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I met him on the first day and we went out a coffee and I was chatting to him about stuff and he said to me, the first thing you do when you start a new job like he was is you pull the lists of everyone who never takes leave. Oh. Because if you're running a scam, it really, yeah, and if you go on holidays, people suddenly start looking at invoices or accounts and going, Ah. oh, what's 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 going on here? This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. That very good point. And so he said, that's the first thing you always did and you found people. And I brought this up with a friend of mine the other day before this story broke and he said, oh, that's funny because, yeah, I took over someone's job who'd been, hadn't had a holiday for 10 years and they made them. Yes. And I came in and discovered I couldn't make the books work and I kept getting invoices for things I didn't understand where they were going. And I reported it higher up as in I don't understand this, not can you clarify it? And the boss above went, uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is, and they uncovered this person had been, and they end up getting arrested and everything. So you know, and this reminds me that, in some ways, with this John Adams case, it's almost like it always makes make sense on one level that no one else did know, yeah, because you need that control, and in some ways, being attached on the side to a very respected, and working perfectly well legal firm, yes, gives you more cover. Oh. It did. Than if you're with a dodgy one, you know, you're almost Absolutely. better to be with. And then so, but it is the typical case where someone passes away or is made to go on holiday. Yes. Then it comes out. The, the scheme only is is so, is so reliant on this one oh, person. On a, um, somebody in there juggling like mad. And, and you're one not day writing down all of this. One you, day they'll either they'll go, have to go and leave or get sick or die yeah, you buy a, or, yeah. or, or just slip and drop the ball. Yeah. And, um, and then and, and as soon as this one whiff of it escapes, yeah. everybody says, where's my money? And it, and it collapses. So he passes away. It seems almost within, we're partly speculating, partly on what's been yeah. told to us by the law firm itself that Maguire has said publicly. Yeah. It quickly... Very quickly, with it, whether it's hours or with, but within 24 hours, it seems that various people have become aware or uh, yeah. are being told. Yep. He's passed away, and now we've discovered there's, there's some. There could discre- be a few problems. There could here. be a few problems. What then happens is the funeral. Now, what's odd about the funeral? Well, and we should say this now, guy is incredibly connected. He, he is very big in VFA, football, VFL, circles, and then later circles. AFL football. Yeah. He's the man that registered the words Australian Football League and sold it because he had insider trading. So yeah. it just shows you an insight into the man. Yeah. This avuncular, grandfatherly kind. He had a mind like a rat trap. Yeah. When push came to shove, he was a very bright, a, a North Melbourne tough guy not and uh, North Melbourne had its share of some clubs do uh, Carlton always did Collingwood always did have their share of sort of uh, pretty hard people around the edges yeah and I think North did because he was very had, involved had, had with some, North Melbourne had football some club. serious criminals involved you know at one time because he was he was involved with North Melbourne football club totally he was involved with the VFL the Victorian Football League yeah. when it started to nationalize and become the he AFL he was one of the He's back room architects. Yeah, uh, some people contest that, but he was certainly in the swim because he got in early with registering Mentioned names. The trademark. So clearly, clearly he was in the swim, and then sold it to them. I sold love that. I look. It gives you an idea of the sort of operator, uh, opportunist. Yeah, a sort of a smiling opportunist. So, so this is a guy incredibly connected. Yep, I've spoken to a few people Through who knew sport him and family and the church. Yep, so, and that footy thing. Yeah. Very connected. So you'd expect a man like him, and he's not, you know, 98, he's 81, so he's, he's yeah, got a big not like all cohort, his friends have died or anything. Big of he would have, normally, he would have 300 people at his And funeral, very Catholic, going to school, uh, totally, church every week. Basically sort of Catholic establishment, you know, queue, yeah. the whole. He came out of Moreland, northern suburbs, yeah. and he made, made his money and he had his law firm in Ivanhoe yeah. and he lived in a very good street in in Q, right near Genetano. Yeah, right. And very rich suburb in Melbourne. Uh, very, yeah, solid, you know, solid, substantial place. Yeah. And Lots it, of old money there. You know, you got money. all the old private schools, a lot exactly. of them are there. And, you know, it's only, you could hop on the tram and go down to uh, 
where Archbishop Mannix was and yes. Burke Hall and <laughs> yeah, all that. I yeah. mean, it's 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 all in. You could walk to Xavier nearly. Yeah. You know, it's it's that sort of place. Well, that was the life that he'd built and that he led, and that man, in the normal course of events, would have several hundred people at his funeral. He'd have priests, hot and cold running priests. He'd have eulogies. Yeah. There'd be all sorts of people speaking at it. Um, you know, f- football heavyweights. Famous, famous people in Melbourne, yeah. People that were better known than he was yeah. would normally have been at his funeral, but that didn't happen. No death notices, no funeral notices, not a sign that he'd – if you try and look it up, there's no sign there's that he's no, died. Yeah. They had a service four days after his death on the Thursday after the Saturday night. So, so pretty quick. Pretty quick. Buried him, I think, at lawn, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Buried him. Naturally, fair enough, you've got to be buried. Uh, but it happened in almost semi-secrecy. Mm. I think something like 40 people, just an inner circle of family really, yeah. plus close friends. Not all the friends, I know that. One man who lost two million, knew him for 60 years. Mm. He wasn't there. Yeah. Some weren't invited or told and others didn't want to go because they, they'd heard the bad news. So we don't know the reason why they did that, but it is strange because this is a guy who every Draw I've, your own conclusions. Like you, I've spoken to quite a few people who knew him, yep. uh, you know, mixing football circles. Yep. Yep. And, and these are people that weren't taken for any money. They just knew him. And they said he knew everyone. He'd, he had these famous lunches, which I think you've written yep. about, where he, he would pour wine into people. Yeah, the good red. Uh, yeah, the, the good the, the Penfolds. Said the, uh, the Penfolds, was it 389 or something? <laughs> yeah, the, the Baby the, Grange. The, the Baby Grange and get that will loosen tongues and purses, right, that Baby Grange. Yeah. Good, they're great. The red after a steak at the whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then he'd talk a bit of business with people when they were lubricated. Up, yeah. And old blokes who sort of were all mates and all that stuff and he kept luring them in. The guy that told me about the wine and the lunches, yeah. Been very close to him for years and he said two years ago I needed to get my money out to do something and I couldn't get it. For the last two years he's had lawyers chasing Adams. So you can see that the wolves were it's snapping, tight, tight, snapping yeah. at his heels. Right. So we wouldn't be surprised to find that people had got onto him potentially. Like so, we, it's, it's not that's and, and the stress of it or whatever, we don't know. But He, he will have been putting people off, telling them, like, it's okay, it's coming. It's coming. It's yeah. coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. And it's only so long that can go on. I, I, it's, it's amazing to me how much COVID kind of forced a contraction of people's businesses and, or a change to that's it and therefore things that point. used to not come to light. That's a point. After the, you know, so suddenly you could have a business that you're putting money through or you could do various yeah. things and then suddenly I've read a few things where, you know, well, even legitimate businesses came a cropper in. But these businesses that require very much on this grey money washing in and out pretty regularly. True. Any disruption. Any change, disruption alters it. And also even the lunches would be disrupted. So he wouldn't be there glad-handing and those people could sit back coolly and calmly and soberly, uh, you know, at 10 o'clock on a Thursday night and go, now, Martha, you know, where that half million we go, well, I think we should get that. And Well, also just needing the money more in COVID. So you got more people calling yeah. on the fund. Like in boom times, yeah, people don't, they're, they're, they're more putting money in going, I've got all this. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I know for myself, I, I couldn't work all the jobs I do no. in COVID. So live shows I couldn't do and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I drew massively on the money I had saved up. Yeah. In, yeah. And I know a lot of people around mm-hmm. the country did that too. So if you were someone that was in my situation or totally. worse, like you were in hospitality or something, Whatever, yeah. and you had 200K or 2 mil with him, yeah. the odds of you having to then call him and say, yeah. oh, I'm going to need to draw some out now, yeah. it's, it's rainy season, yeah. which must have been very tough. For, you know, that's where the, the yeah. pressure comes on. I think that. so. I, I think all, all of all of this makes sense. You know, we you can we can all see how this could happen and did happen. Yeah. Uh, what we don't know is, you know, did he leave a note that outlined it and said, "You better go to such and such a file." Yeah. There's some talk of a file. In some ways, it makes more sense that the less people know. Yeah. It, he, he, it makes more sense that he got away with this for so long. Yeah. Because it's that old thing, and you would know this from your reporting. The more people know, the more likely it's going to spread. True. You know, in some ways, because if it's gone on as long as we yeah. suspect it could have yep. on, on some level, 
the more he was holding the strings incredibly tightly. Because one of his, uh, I read one of his um, co-workers said, couldn't believe he didn't retire. He was this older guy who was tired. And Your that gets point. to my theory of like Your point. he couldn't retire because he, he, he knew had to, the had minute to keep he stopped his hands under control. Yeah, the minute he stopped pedalling, the bike He's, fell over, look, you know. Uh, having been very nice about him, I think it's time to turn nasty. Yes. Um, well, I'm and, not being actually nice about him. I'm more saying he's just. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but the suggestion is, and I tend to believe it, that at some point John Adams has turned full on feral and started doing bad stuff to cover his tracks. Yeah. Now, I don't know when that began, but at some point that's happened and there are allegations of, and these are well sourced, yeah. that he's been uh, mortgaging properties that aren't his to mortgage. He's been taking, yes. he took out mortgages on two properties uh, belonging to one of his oldest football administration friends, a man well known to you and yeah. others. In a suburban football club, a, a legend of the game. Right. Uh, that man owned four properties, free and clear, and when the balloon went up, he checked it and found two of them had been mortgaged by John Adams. And you would think there'd be false forgeries, false documents, altered documents, fake signatures, and that perhaps he, there is some electronic coding method whereby the partners of a law firm can do access things and sign them yeah. or whatever, whatever, okay, yeah. that perhaps he'd been using somebody else's in order to make it look as if he stuff had been witnessed right, and it hadn't. Right. So it's conceivable that John Adams has actually betrayed his own legal partners yeah. by cheating on documents and forging documents. Their, yeah. And, uh, you know, let's not assume anything uh, bad about anybody else. At no. all. They could have been suckered in by a, a very devious man who preyed on their, their good nature. Yeah. And their trust in him. You trust the postman when the postman turns up. Yeah. You think it's a postman. I don't know. He's I don't know the, about my postman. He's on the, little red, he's on the little red bike <laughs> yeah. and, and you think, well, he's a postman. But for all you know, he might be a serial killer from Russia. You yeah, know, yeah, He yeah, might yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. You, don't, you, you have to have some level of trust in life at of some course, point. You we know, all it's do. impossible to get we through all your day otherwise. Well, I you believe know. you're tied to say, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I do too you, you didn't show me your license. <laughs> yeah. I think this all, to me, it seems like someone who's, you know, and this is why I came back to COVID. I thought, what's a trigger for someone to suddenly having to, you, you're doing this for a long period of time and not causing yeah. these issues. COVID may well have been. And then suddenly you're going yeah. this, you know, you've. Altered uh, things. And th this seems to always happen with these Ponzi-type schemes. Everyone starts off thinking a lot that I've read is yeah. other cases. At first I was just using a bit of money to pay this. It's a bit like a, a gambler, right? They think. Oh, I need this to come off. And then occasionally they do get back ahead. Yeah. And they're like, I'm never doing that again. I'm on the straight and then narrow now. And then they get in front, you know. That's the punt. And it them. keeps going. And then eventually gets to a point where you have to start doing more and more crazy things. Yep. To, 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 stay to the keep game. the thing going. Yeah. I don't believe that for a minute that he started out wanting to run a Ponzi scheme. Uh, he, he certainly ended up doing all the bad things that Ponzi schemers do. Yeah, I, I don't know about Bernie Madoff or Mike Bastian whether they they were always crooked from the start. They yeah. may well have been, but uh, I don't believe that of John Adams. But the the net effect is similar. Yes, and it will have burnt a lot of people. Uh, there's some property, you know. This will get very interesting about who owned which property when, when it went into their names. Yeah, and if it can be shown that, you know property was moved out of his name at a certain time to avoid the courts might let people claw some back but I wouldn't count on it. Yeah there's going to be cases suing and all sorts of things all going on for a long time. One thing I thought was the most Melbourne thing of all time about yeah. this and you wrote about this and I thought it was just spot on about how Melbourneian this story is. This is a guy that has done such a great job of raising no red flags. Yep with people for years. You know, yeah. even people yeah. who now know this sort of are a bit in shock. He was very good at it. The one thing that some people, and they've said it to me and I know they've said it to you, is they say, well, the one red flag was when he was working for the North Melbourne Football Club, he tried to merge it with the Carlton Football he Club. Did. Which in Melbourne, footy is like a religion. Yep. The idea that you would 
merge your club or sell your club out like that. It's like people who change football teams. Absolutely. People say, oh, I don't trust him. He changed football teams. Yeah. This Good has the, been the one yep. sort of almost blemish knock, on his life. The knock on his <laughs> which, which doesn't link to a Ponzi scheme at all. No. But it is funny that comes it's an up. Insight. It's an insight into a coldly economic brain yeah. that values profit and money above other things, above yeah. loyalty and, and love. That might be a, a real thing. I know that a very prominent person rang me yeah. and he rang me about John Adams and he was very interested to talk about him quite a lot and I couldn't work out why he was so fascinated but he said as a youngster he'd known Adams and respected him yeah. but the fact that he'd tried to sell out his own club, uh, his own club he said, I ran against him in an incident in Perth. Yeah. I think football club rivalries. Yeah. This is the old bull and the young bull. Yeah. And Adams is the old bull and he tries to bounce the young bull. And the young bull decided he would not be bounced. Yeah. And I think he said to Adams something like, well, you tried to say, <laughs> club, well, you can't be trusted, you're no good, or worse that effect. Yeah. And certainly he believed that from that day on and I think he was – Vindicated when Adams um, turned out to be a shonk. Yeah, it was his sort of opinion of him was vindicated. So there, there you are. It goes back. You to are that. judged by what you do, <laughs> and if you tried to sell out your football club and create the Carlton Kangaroos, well, yes, um, some people won't forgive you. The amazing thing about this to me is what good cover though, using sport to legitimise yourself. It reminds me of the firepower scam, yeah. which yeah. was where an Australian guy, Tim Johnson, pretended that it was a pill you could put into your fuel tank yes. and it would reduce your carbon emissions by yeah. 30 to 40 or to 50%, whatever, yeah. right? It doesn't matter because the pill never existed. No. But he got Australian government, trade, Oz Trade were promoting him, but he plowed. Did Peter Brock have a similar thing? There was his, oh, he, yeah, Peter Brock a had a special crystal a special that you crystal. could put in. But this, yeah. was a, yeah. but this was a, that was always seen as a bit mad from day one. But this was, Absolutely so Tim Johnson, yeah, and what he did is he sponsored heaps of sporting events, like NBL, yeah. he started yeah. off rugby union. Yeah. He used that to make him peer, because people were like, this can't be a fraudulent company. They're the number one sponsor for... And Adams reminds me of this too. Like it was yeah. like, well, he was a, he was on the board in North Melbourne. He was on the VFA board. He was, an, uh, I think, he was the Victorian director of the West Coast so, Eagles. Exactly. He, you oh. know, there, there is this ability, and it happens in the states too, and in other countries. There's this ability, to almost, you know, and the, Use, I mean, sports washing. Sport the Saudis always, are doing yes. it now, and the Russians yeah. did it before. But it was almost like people trusted him because he was. Apparently in, big in sport. Very big in football, which in yeah. this state is, you know, it, it's it's kind of amazing that it is, it's, it's, he used some of those things to sort of legitimise himself. Football. And racing too, it's, you know. Yeah, that's true. Racing gives you the cover though. We were talking about this. The, why is racing so often, the, we've got the Victorian Bookmakers Association and a lot of other bookies yeah. that have got money in this. Yep. Is it because they're often... I mean, they're handling large amounts of money, so they have yeah. money around. I'm saying even completely legitimate Historically, money. Historically. They've got money that they need to put somewhere. They do. And so is this because it's a cash they're rich? Not, bookies aren't punters. Bookies yes. don't like risking their money. Yes. They no, want to the feel that they can invest it somewhere at a lucrative you know, rate, mm. but they don't want to go and risk it really. Yes. And I love the idea of being able, you know, a steady X percent every month because that's the way their minds think. Yeah. And some would say that in the past, not current bookies except the odd one, in the past bookies have probably often had access to black or grey money which would arise from them betting on the nod. They would bet with trusted punters without putting it through the books. Yeah. And just, uh, you want five grand on King Rabbit at 10 to 1, yeah. whatever, and the horse loses the bookie gets the five in cash yeah, and so on. And the reverse happens, that some punters get cash money. Yeah, They don't want it in a suitcase under the bed or mm -hmm. bury it in the garden. They want to put it somewhere where it will get interest. Yeah. And I think bookies have always been pretty good targets for the sort of loan schemes that a bloke like John Adams ran. Yes. And they got to trust him over decades. You know, you couldn't yeah. blame them. I mean, he'd been... That's the thing yeah. too. When you pull off something this long, yeah. someone vouches for you and says, well, I've been with him for 20 years. Yeah. It's, it's, you're less likely to think he's a fly-by-night 
Well, he wasn't five and a half. Exactly. He, you, you go, oh. He didn't fly. You've been with him 20 years and it's yeah. all been solid. Why would this I, past performance is not an indicator I, of future you, performance? You, you, you and I would probably we'd say, well, he just stacks up so well. It would be hard not to when you, I mean, if we and didn't know what we knew. it wasn't crazy money. He wasn't offering, you know. 20, wasn't offering 20%. 20 he wasn't or, offering, Bastion used to offer big, big returns right. back in a different era. But this wasn't crazy. It was sort of believable. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly, somebody said, oh, I want, you know, I can get a bit more for my money or I want my money out. Yeah. Oh, what am I paying you? Oh, you're paying me eight, but I'll give you nine. So he didn't quibble. It was interesting that he didn't quibble. He didn't want to – he just wanted to keep it in. But he said, oh, no worries, I'll give you the extra percent because that way he kept Pete, yeah. he kept robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. The day somebody wanted their two million out, well, he had – That was headache, it. Headache. He'd have to, you know. Well, it's about, so now it looks like we've got several cases that will – there'll be people suing – there's going to be regulators are going to be questioned about how this was allowed to happen. We're yes. going to have police inquiries. We're going to have you'd hope. So we've probably got years of oh. legal uh, untangling oh, to come. How slow will it be? Well, he's <laughs> and now, a coroner's inquiry. The, one too. of the victims is um, a Silk, a KC. He was yeah, accused top lawyer. He was very good criminal barrister. Yeah, well respected man. But he obviously had some money with this, which, yeah. which indicates, you know, trust level. And he represents, I'm told, other people and himself to a total of about $20 million. Right. Another law firm out of Ivanhoe, just down the street, Andrew Wolf, W-O-O-L-F-E, yeah. -E, great yeah. name, he is representing various people. And... The big law firm, Gordon Legal, who are experts mm. in class actions, they have a, a lawyer dedicated to this case. This case. A fellow called James Norton who is collecting uh, plaintiffs. So there's three different groups, one of which represents $20 million worth of investment. Yeah. It's not hard to see that it's going to make 30 or 40 or 50, is it? No. Straight away. Just on the known, on yeah. the known. There's going to be... Uh, and where does that place that historically in Australia for a scam like this? What's well, it's bigger than um, Melinda Cadditch. Cadditch. Yeah. It's bigger than Bastion. Bastion was 20 years ago, so, you know, inflation. Yeah, it's all, yeah. Bill Vlahos was dollar bill as we coined that name. I thought it was perfect. Um, <laughs> and he was a racing dollar bill Vlahos. as well. But he did the reverse of Bastion. He took mug money from business people who would be wise in business, you yeah. know, People who are very good at business. Yeah. He took their money and said, I'm really good on the racing stuff. And he conned them that he could take their money and invest it in racing. Bastion did the opposite. He took racing people's money and put it into the money market. Yeah. Always playing people against type. Yeah. And Vlahos was able to do that with he, – he had him chatted up that he was a, uh, you know, inside – runner on tip, tipping winners, yeah. which he wasn't. He wasn't even putting the money on. Uh, you know, he wasn't even betting the money. Yeah. But I don't think we ever got to the, the real dollar amount. dollar amount because so many people when asked, they said, well, yeah, I gave him money so he could – why would you give him money? Yeah, so he could invest it on – put it on horses. And that's, I suppose, what he did. So in the end, <laughs> oh, you gave it to him and he said he was going to put it on a horse and he lost it. Well, where's the, where's the offence? You know, yeah. Uh, the offence is only going to be where he promised certain things and and so on. He also had other bloodstock stuff. To go to your point about people big noting in sport with yeah. sponsorships, Bill Vlahos made a big splash at the horse sales, paying over the odds for horses in order that people went, oh well, he's flying. You know, how could he pay five million for the yeah. black caviar's brother? I want to be money. Money oh, attracts. He did that to, as a confidence trick. Yeah, but he, but he did a ridiculous thing. He told people before a horse sale that he was going to bid to five million for a horse. Well, you wouldn't do that. No, you would never say because you know you're going to get run to the five million. Yeah, which he did get run to it because he had. Friendly folks in the crowd bidding for him to run him up. Uh, it was all, all part of the yeah. scam. And that's the horse that, of course, the $5 million horse that um, died apparently of a spider bite. 
Yes. So Who's there's that? always a I, that's a whole nother episode that's we might need episode. to do. I Jimmy Spiderboat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I, we might have to have you back on this one because this one is going to be a, we hope. Yeah, we think this is going to go on for a long right. time. Um, your podcast is Life and Crime. Life and Crime. So it's, well worth a listen. Yep. Column in the Sunday Herald Sun. Yeah, I work for the Herald Sun full time. You seem to be writing a lot more than just they, they, online. It says Sunday Herald Sun, but yeah. uh, as as crimes keep coming to light, they do. <laughs> well, when something breaks, you do it. But yeah, uh, Mark Butler, my colleague, and I do a column called Deadline, yeah. which is published online only because there's so much of it. They probably should put it in the paper, but online's good. Yeah, I do a print column, which is also run online. Yeah, um, which is the piece I do every Sunday. Comes out Saturday nights usually, and I do the Life and Crimes podcast, which is one a week and sometimes two. Yeah, and it's um, up there. We've we've got a, a, a sort of a fraternal colleague in Sydney, Gary Jubilant, the former homicide cop up there. Yeah, he's got a very successful podcast. I catch killers. I catch killers. Wonderfully yeah. successful. He's a full time at it. He's got full time producers. He. He really does a good job. Yeah. His rates really well. Yeah. But funnily enough, life and crimes um, from your mad uncle here, it um, <laughs> it seems to go along pretty well. I don't know why. There's a lot of knowledge behind it that goes there. Uh, Apparently. <laughs> alleged. No, that's not what my family says. <laughs> well, thank you, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure, Andrew. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again. That would be fantastic. No worries. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Uh, I certainly did. I love doing these interviews. We're going to be doing more next year too. At no extra cost to you. We're just going to be pumping them out. It's hard to do them without Mick. Uh, I'm used to him doing the heavy lifting, but we're getting by. Now, if you want more Sports Bazaar, we have our Bazaar Plus membership where you get a bonus episode every week and to maybe incentivize you to join up, here's a short outtake from our bonus episode. We're going to take you to the Isle of Sicily, which is an archipelago, a group of islands. I know where Sicily is, mate. No, 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 it's not what Sicily. Of, hang on, no, what hang are you on. Doing? Hang on. These Jeez. are not in Italy. Uh, They're mansplaining to me. Where, no, no. You want to bring a globe in and point to it? No. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Okay, where is the Isle of Sicily then? It's uh, down to the you know, southern end of Italy on the boot. No. Smicky. That's Sicily. This is the Isles of Sicily. They're a, um, well, a you, group of islands off picking? the Cornish coast. So they're off the coast Oh, you mean of the Isles the of uh, Sicily? Yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. Do nice pivot. I don't even know where. I don't know where the Cornish coast is. <laughs> so it's, it's Cornwall, so it's West Cornwall, west down the bottom. I could care less. I know you could care less, but anyway, it's southwest England, Cornwall, is it or yeah, the Cornish coast? Well, so, what's yeah, Cornish coast? It's off, part where Cornwall is and all that. So yeah, <laughs> jeez, I didn't know. Uh, when I looked through this script, I didn't think this would be the contentious bit. <laughs> anyway, you know what they? Eat? I reckon they eat a lot of kipper. I can't wait to do geography bazaar as a show. <laughs> And that's a short clip from our bonus episode each week for members who join our Bazaar Plus program. If you are interested in being a Bazaar Plus member, the link is in the show notes and we would love to have you on board.